When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Just a reminder that Diet Starts Tomorrow is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a health professional. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow. I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and other disgusting things. With hosts Remy Casimir. I'll have what she's having. And Emily Lubin. Remember, shoot like you have a secret. We're here to amuse your boosh. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Emily. And I'm Remy. And today we are joined by a very, very special guest. She's an award-winning singer, songwriter, and multi-platinum selling recording artist. She also is a huge advocate for mental health awareness and a partner in the Inspiring Children Foundation, which we'll be talking about today. We cannot believe we are lucky enough to have her in the studio with us. Welcome to the podcast, Jewel. Hi, guys. Welcome. This is actually such a dream for us. You have no idea. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but Pieces of You was my favorite album growing Mm -hmm. up. And I knew every word to every song. And um, I just, I can't believe I'm sitting here with you. I did a little singing in the shower last night Mm. in preparation. It was fun. Um, But today (laughs) we are talking about mental health and the holidays. Holidays are around the corner and you've just launched the second annual Not Alone Challenge. And we're so excited to learn more about it. Its mission is to provide access to mental health resources in an effort to combat loneliness during the holidays. What inspired this? You know, I've been in mental health a really long time. Mm -hmm. I started a youth foundation about 22 years ago. And the goal was to help kids that were like me. I moved out at 15. I had Mm -hmm. an abusive household. I moved out at 15. And I knew statistically that doesn't work well. Yeah. It wasn't a great idea. It's like going from the kettle to the fire thinking Mm -hmm. that's going to be more fun. Um, So I moved out kind of with this, I don't know, mission, I guess, an assignment I gave myself if I only can move out if I think I have a, a better shot. But what the heck gives you a better shot at moving at 15? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it took like just a lot of observation and really thinking about it. But I realized that I had, you know, a genetic inheritance that would give me a predisposition to diabetes or heart disease. But I also had an emotional inheritance. Yeah. And I could see that in my family. I called it emotional English. Like I was raised speaking an emotional language. Mm. And that was passed down generationally. And it would lead to abuse or addictive behaviors and a whole host of other things. And so I realized then that I, what I have to do is learn a new emotional 
language, but there's no school. Like you could go learn Spanish in school, but where do you go to learn a new emotional way of relating to the world? And I had what I called emotional dyslexia (laughs) of like, I had the wrong word to the wrong feeling. Mm. You know, it's hard when you're raised in an abusive house. You're like neglected, lots of things. And then at night it's like, I love you. That's the wrong word. That's what you think love is. You know what I mean? And that's a million data points. It's just this one little word to a million ways of being treated. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of one example of what I call emotional dyslexia and realizing, all right, I have to piece together a new emotional language by watching people. Learning Mm. like, oh, I like that interaction. What makes that work? What doesn't make that work? I was always just kind of this weird like kid that thought this was interesting. (laughs) And so I did pretty good. I moved out, um, paid rent, got through high school. At 15. Yep. Graduated at 18. Mm-hmm. Didn't become a stripper. So pretty remarkable. <laughs> Kudos. All right. Kudos to me. Not that there's anything wrong with strippers. Um, and then I went to San Diego. My mom was there. She was sick. I started to take care of her. And my boss took me aside one day and I realized, oh, he's propositioning me. Mm. I grew up in bars. Like I, I grew up like singing in bars with my dad. We were a duet. Mm-hmm. And like when I was, I don't know. 12, 13, this guy put a little a dime in my hand and he shut my fingers around it and he goes, call me when you're 16. You're going to be great to fuck. Oy. No. Yeah, so that's how I was raised. So by the time this boss came around at 18, I was so good at disarming uh-huh. the bomb of the male ego and the male sex drive and laughing it off and being funny but not alienating them. And I Can't thought it alienate went fine. Them. No, because <laughs> you need the boss, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I thought it went good. We just kind of laughed, joked it off. It wasn't too awkward. I went in the next day for my check. My rent was due. And my boss was sitting at his desk with his little papers. And I was like, hey, I'm here for my paycheck. And he just kept looking at his papers. And I was like, oh, he's busy. And he never looked up. So I was like, hey, I'm here for my paycheck. He just acted like I was a ghost. He acted (laughs) like he couldn't see me, acted like he couldn't hear me. It was awful. Yeah. So I left there crying because I knew my landlord was nice, but I had been late so much in rent. Yeah. That this time, like I knew he was like, you got to go. And so I started living in my car thinking that wasn't going to be a huge deal. I grew up like before I moved out, I I lived like with my brothers in a saddle barn with no running water, no electricity and outhouse. So like living by myself in in San Diego. Yeah. Okay. Um, So living in this little car in San Diego by myself, in nice weather, I was like, this isn't that bad. It's like, kind of chic. It's kind of chic. It's like a studio. Like it. Exactly. <laughs> it kind of was. Um, if but, you put the front seat down, it's an alcove studio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this is like one of the most misunderstood things about you, because I remember like the mythology around you being homeless and living in your car. It was always, at least I always thought it was like, oh, she's chasing her dream. Yeah. But actually mm. it was, no, she didn't get paid because she wouldn't sleep with her boss. Yeah, and I even told journalists at the time the story. And then it was just like they couldn't hear it. They were just like, oh, that spunky girl, she lived in her van to follow her dreams. And it's I was an like, easier spin. Well, I almost sometimes think the 90s psyche didn't know how to absorb that. Where now we're so sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. But like what it was like in the 90s with journalists, radio personalities, y'all, it was insane. Yeah, It was crazy, like the things I had to go through. But luckily I was trained for it. Like you trained yourself? Well, it's just through repetition. Yeah, Repetition really does help train you. The first time you have somebody do something shocking, it shocks you and you have that freeze moment. Yeah, And then you'd walk away going, why didn't I say this? Or Mm -hmm. why didn't I do that? But it just kept happening because I sang in so many bars. So it was like just I got out of that f- fight, that flight mode where I'd freeze mm-hmm. 
And I just learned in real time to be very witty, really sarcastic, very disarming, be a better read, really reading people. It really taught me to never lead with my sexuality. Like I never, I mean, this Mm -hmm. is terrible, but you know, I saw guys in bars. It wasn't personal. (laughs) Right. They were just horny. You know what I mean? And so I was like, note to self, like, it's not personal. Like, it's Mm. not about me. It's not because I'm pretty. It's not because I'm not pretty. It's just because they're there and they'll try. Anything will do for them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I heard, I don't know. I heard all kinds of things. I know know what you're going to say. You do? (laughs) Like that they will, (laughs) they'll do it with anyone. The Well, I heard they're all pink on the inside. Oh, how's that? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I overheard two guys. I'm like, that's charming. Oh, that's oh. great. That's Jeez. really, yeah, yeah. Not racist. Uh, it's too early in the day to hear that. Yeah, wow. sorry. Well, you guys can edit it out. <laughs> Here we are. Um, anyway, back to the homelessness thing. Yeah. The car I was living in got stolen. Ended oh up legit God. homeless. You start looking homeless. It was brutal. I found a coffee shop that was going out of business, and I was shoplifting a ton. Mm-hmm. That's what we were talking about. Not mm-hmm. shoplifting, but I'm getting to where you were talking with mental health. Yes. Yeah. I kind of had this aha moment of, you know, I moved out at 15, not wanting to be a statistic. And then suddenly here I was in a dressing room and I was stealing a dress and I was shoving it down my baggy pants. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I'm a statistic. Mm. I am homeless. I am shoplifting and I'm going to nip in jail or dead. And so that was kind of the beginning of really specific behavioral exercises I started doing for myself. I started coming. I realized behavior drove life. I can share some of them if you want, but... Just generally, for some weird reason, I had a talent for writing songs mm-hmm. and behavioral and cognitive mental health exercises. And Before I didn't know what those were. Anybody. Yeah. I didn't even know. I've never heard of DBT. I just realized yeah. my habits were driving me. Mm-hmm. So how do I change my habits? And the first thing I started with was shoplifting. And then I went to my panic attacks. And then I went to my agoraphobia. And I just started doing one thing at a time. And I really started figuring out how to be happy. Even though I was homeless, I really had a huge change. Like Mm -hmm. instead of stealing, I started writing more. I I got to where I didn't have panic attacks. I could deal with my agoraphobia, found a coffee shop to sing in, got discovered. And then I was like, this could be the worst thing for me ever. (laughs) Because again, that's like going from the kettle to the fire. You can't take somebody with my emotional background and God forbid I get famous. Mm-hmm. That's just every biopic we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be a statistic. And so I almost didn't sign a record deal as a homeless kid. Because of anxiety. Because I didn't think I could handle public yeah. pressure living in the public eye. Yeah. I just thought it would be really bad for Which me. Which is a fair point. And when I just learned how to be happy, like you don't want to let that go. It's so much mm. more valuable than anything. You really value it. And so I remember walking on the beach in San Diego and being like, all right, how would I do this? And I realized that if I made myself a promise, my number one job I wrote down was to learn how to be a happy whole human and not a human full of holes. (laughs) And my number two job was to be a musician. And under musician, I had a subcategory. My job was to be an artist more than it was to be famous. And those were my guiding stars. And And I'm good at making a promise to myself. Like I can trust myself that way. And that actually made me feel really safe because I knew I could go through my career by those things and that would help me make decisions if I was loyal to them. Yeah. And so like a way that played out was... It's like a personal mission statement. It is because we have to make a thousand decisions a day. And what mm-hmm. do you make them based on, yeah. you know? So this kind of gave me that thing. I was offered, there was a bidding war over me. I was offered a million dollar signing bonus as a homeless kid. 
Better than that dime. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Much better than that dime. <laughs> Truth. I uh, went to the library because I didn't know anything about the music business. And so I got a book called Everything You Need to Know About the Music Business. <laughs> and I read it and it taught me about contracts and how contracts work um, and how they're broken down in the music business. And so I realized this million dollar signing bonus was an advance and you owed it back through record sales. And then when you see how you earn money back through record sales, it's fractions of a penny. Mm-hmm. So the amount of albums I'd have to sell to pay back a million dollars, and then they also were going to front all the costs for helping my career. So you're talking a couple more million dollars probably invested in somebody. So me paying back, let's just call it $3 million through record sales. I was like, I'll never sell this many records. No, that sounds like it a was like attack. having a, a bounty on my head. It yeah. wasn't a gift. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this doesn't make me happy. That doesn't work for me. That makes me feel pressure. It makes me feel like I have to write a hit album and I've never even made an album. I want to make a folk album at the height of grunge because I care about art more than fame. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I feel like is right. So I turned down the money. I took the biggest back end anybody had ever been given. So all of that leverage I had with the bidding war, I ended up with a really high mechanical and royalty rate if I sold albums. And so that took like this bounty off of my head where the label could drop me because, well, she cost this much. We, yeah. She's not selling anything. Yeah. We need to drop her. That was like not what I wanted. And then I just went about like really humbly making a career, working very hard. I did like a thousand shows a year. <laughs> Stupid. Um, but all that to say, mental health has always been my main focus. It's why I took two years after my second record. Mm-hmm. I just quit. I couldn't handle it. I turned we down hosting Saturday recently. Night Live because I couldn't handle yeah. it. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I would love to do Saturday Night Live. I just was about to have a mental breakdown. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so I just made my career that way. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E. F-O-O-D-S dot com. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your 
nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Your first panic attack was at 16. Yeah. Do you remember the circumstances that brought that on specifically? I remember where I was. I was away. So I got a scholarship to go to a boarding school, which was amazing. It was in Michigan. And so I showed up. I'm sure I'm the only kid on my own, you know, Mm -hmm. at this very bougie boarding school. Um, You had a full scholarship? I had a partial scholarship, $5,000 to a $15,000 a year school. So I had to raise $10,000, which I thought, well, we're done. This isn't going to happen. I'm Mm -hmm. on my own, barely making rent. There were three women that took me under their wing and they all were like, you can do this. I'm like, how? They're like, what do you do? I'm like, I sing. Can you do a solo show? I was like, I never have. I always sung backup for my dad. Mm -hmm. So I never like fronted a show. And I wasn't writing yet, but I loved Cole Porter songs because there is a gay man in me. (laughs) And has this gay man in me has impeccable taste in men. Um, (laughs) I did all these Cole Porter songs. They helped me make a flyer. They helped me hand out the flyer. They helped me invite like the whole town. Mm -hmm. They told me how to go business to business and get items that we could auction. Like during the auction, I was literally auctioning off like uh, oil, (laughs) like for your car. (laughs) I was thinking olive oil. (laughs) You know, we auctioned off a chainsaw. It was like rubber boots. It was a Mm -hmm. a very Alaskan auction. Yeah, very utilitarian. Well, I was living in a small ranching town. (laughs) Some fishing gear, you know. Uh, But anyway, my my little hometown raised $10,000 for me, and I got to go to the school because of it. That's amazing. I hitchhiked from Detroit up to Traverse City, where this school is. I start walking down the, like, the main path, and everybody comes out, and they all start staring at me, and they're all pointing at me. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Why is it? Like, literally, people are coming out, elbowing each other, come look at this. I'm like, the boogers? Do I have toilet paper on my shoe? I'm like, what's happening? I get up to the dorm, and I'm like, and they go, Dean's office. I haven't even shown up yet. Like, how am I in trouble? Mm-hmm. I go in the dean's office. He goes, where are you from? I was like, Alaska, sir. He goes, give me the knife. I had a really large skinning <laughs> knife on my belt. Like, big. Like, I mean, proper skinning knife. As kids in Alaska do. As young Would you ladies, always have that yeah. on you? Always. That's how I was raised. I mean, you just, you always had a knife on yeah. you. Like, it was like, you felt naked and a little improper. Like, you didn't brush your teeth, maybe, or mm-hmm. something. Like, if you didn't have your knife, it was just a really how life was where I'm from. Yeah. So that almost got me kicked out my first day. But my boyfriend <laughs> grew up in Oregon and he got a knife taken from him at school once. And he's like, it's for fishing. Yeah. 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 You need they to catch those with fish that. at school, you know? Yeah. yeah. In between classes. No, it's, literally, uh, when he went to college, he would ice fish between classes. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. But so was the panic attack brought on by all of these people looking at you? Or? Oh, yeah. I okay. didn't know what brought it on. Thank you for helping no guide me here with our little <laughs> bumper rails. All I remember was like le- feeling really weird or really sick and mm. leaving my class because I wasn't sure what was happening. And I got to my dorm room and then it was just like... If anybody's ever had a panic attack, they're awful. Like you just yeah. fetal position, full crying, Did shaking. Did you not breathe? 
Couldn't breathe. Yeah, it's awful. And did anybody you knew at the time know what that was? Because I feel like mental health was so swept over. Like it wasn't even a thing. There wasn't even a word for it. Right. The word mental health didn't even get into our lexicon until like the thousands, I think. Yeah. Um, No. And it was almost like a shameful thing. Right. I don't know what happened or why it happened, but it was definitely something I didn't talk about or tell anyone about. Mm -hmm. But practice, again, it happened enough that I was able to start developing skills around it. There was like a certain meditation I would do, like where I was on a stormy ocean and I'd imagine the colors of the stormy sea and the stormy sky and I'd let myself fall up out of the boat into the water where it was calm Mm. and I'd hear the sound change and I'd taste the salt water on my lips. So like by doing this meditation, by the time I got to the bottom of the sandy shore, I was pretty much out of my panic attack. Mm. And so I learned things like that just by experimenting, by enough practice um, of seeing what worked. And then I started noticing my triggers. That's so unique though, like not having somebody who can guide you through it, who's experienced it or somebody who's professional and just coming up with these techniques yourself. Yeah, you know, it was weird. I was on a cliff one day in Alaska sitting. I was really sad. I was really depressed. I was looking out at the ocean. It sounds like a great place to be sad and depressed. A <laughs> yeah, cliff in Alaska. <laughs> I know. How theatrical. It was very theatrical. The tide there goes out for like a mile, really far out, obviously just centimeter by centimeter. I sat there like six hours and I slowly watched the water come back in. And I was like, wait a minute. I had this epiphany that the universe is change. That's mm-hmm. summed up in one word. All of physics is Flux. change. And I'm part of physics. Mm-hmm. So it would be impossible for how I feel not to change. So That's I was amazing. so sad. I was so depressed. But I was like, it has to change. Even if I do nothing. Yeah. I am part of physics. I like, how funny that I think I'm so special that I'm outside of the laws of like science mm-hmm. and that my mood will be here forever. And that, I call it emotional impermanence. But that aha moment made it where I knew I'd never kill myself. I just knew that I would be here. And it was also almost like this rebellious part of me of like, I will not leave this planet until I get the happiness that I know I am due and I'm willing to work for it. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I went to school in Boston and they used to say, if you don't like the weather in Boston, wait five minutes. And it's kind of true to, if you don't like how you're feeling, just like wait a bit because it might change. Yeah. I call it buckling yourself in. It's like, you just have to get through it and it might be a while, Mm -hmm. but it has to change. Mm -hmm. You know, and then now that like all the creative energy I was spending, worrying it wouldn't change, worrying something was wrong with me, worrying I'd feel this way forever. I then got to like relax and put all that emotional energy into like, maybe I actually could help. Maybe there's things that work. How much sleep have I been getting? How much? And then you start kind of like experimenting and seeing what actually gets you out of it quicker. Yeah. That is really cool that you figured out all those techniques on your own. Alone. I mean, <laughs> alone. Yeah. It sounds like you didn't really have the resources to go to yeah. therapy at that time. But I assume at some point you must have seen a therapist. You know, I really haven't done therapy. I oh. did when my at, at a point in my marriage do some couples counseling. And mm-hmm. it's not that I'm against therapy. I really, really am all for therapy. You're like, I just have all the tools in my own brain. No, it isn't that. <laughs> it just, um, I don't know. It just, I had a weird life, mm-hmm. you know? Like in my book, I talk about my mom, but my mom was like a crazy, it's, too hard to figure out how to discuss her without it being like many pages in a book. Yeah, She wasn't well, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know she wasn't well. And so there was just like a lot of, like at 34, I realized all my money was gone. 
She mm-hmm. wasn't who I thought she was. Everything I'd ever been told about my life by her wasn't true. Mm. Even like my own childhood, there were things in my childhood I just thought were true, but just what she memories. told me. Yeah. So people messing with my brain, like after that, I really could have used therapy, but I was so afraid of somebody messing with my brain. I wanted to find my way from inside my own body. Mm-hmm. And it also was like an incredible period, like when I was homeless, like I learned so much. I learned so many tools. I discovered so many tools. But I really think I was kind of, I know I was, I mean, just I'm one of those mission driven people. Like I knew I've always known I was here to help. Like I'm here to help. I like helping. It's what Mm -hmm. I'm here to do. And it was interesting, like later in my life to be like, holy smokes, like all these little things I learned to survive are actually tools that we need because there's a lot of kids like me that didn't have therapy, right. didn't have access to therapy. And I want people to go to therapy. Like I am all yeah. for it. Yeah. But we're 500,000 therapists short in America right now. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like we don't have enough therapists. The best patient to therapist ratio is like 149 Mm-hmm. patients per therapist wow. that's the best rate we have in america yeah and so some states desert. are way way worse mm-hmm. and i think that we did the math if we think everybody were to seek therapy that needed it we'd be five million therapists short oh so i want people to go to school i want them to study therapy i want more help out there but we also have to find solutions for people like me where the family isn't safe Mm-hmm. They're on their own. They can't afford therapy. They might be too busy, too overwhelmed, single mom. But we have to find tools. And it turns out my life is kind of a testimony to there's a lot of stuff you can do to improve your mental health if you're willing to work at it. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's very interesting that you had an entire community of women rally around you to help you get into school. And yeah. now you're rallying to create a community. Aww. You know, it's yeah. like you you've gotten and you've given back. Um, But speaking of holiday stuff, because this is kind of really where the loneliness spikes. Did you spend a lot of holidays before you left? Were holidays a thing in your family that were celebrated or were those always lonely for you? Yeah, we celebrated holidays. I mean, obviously my mom left when I was eight, so that made it a little sad. Mm -hmm. But my family are like very creative, charismatic, storytellers writers, singers, they all taught themselves how to play instruments. So Mm -hmm. holidays were fun, like with the Kilcher clan, they were very, Mm -hmm. it was pretty, it was a good time. And were you able to still spend them when you were on the road? I wasn't close to my family when I left. Okay. So like when I moved out of 15, I was like, we've moved on. Yeah. I didn't keep in touch really. Mm -hmm. You're essentially estranged. I was, Yeah. And it's not like my dad wouldn't pick up the phone and I'm sure I called him here and there, but it was just, my dad was never somebody I went to for help or for a problem at that time. You know, he was just alcoholic. He was abused. My dad's childhood was so traumatic that when he went to Vietnam as an 18 year old, it was the first time he relaxed. Whoa. Wow. Isn't that wow. sad? That's, That's insane. really something. Well, and a little he, war vacation. Yes. Am, am I correct that he also, he suffered PTSD when yeah. he came back from the war? He had PTSD prior. Like oh. he had a very abusive childhood. And then he picked up a little more PTSD in Vietnam, mm-hmm. went and married his college sweetheart. I mean, you just think of the era, you know, Mormon. Mm -hmm. She was Mormon. He converted to Mormonism, which was like nice Mm -hmm. and calm and sweet compared to like his volatile childhood. And then my mom left and he started what we would now term trauma triggering, Mm -hmm. but he had no language for. And Mm -hmm. so you just try and drink because that just gets your nervous system to shut off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that went rather predictably. He started being physically abusive and I moved out at 15 and I was like, peace. I got to figure out how to live. 
And that was it. I kind of, I wasn't trying to like heal my relationship. I wasn't trying to, I was just like, I got to figure out how to survive every day. My dad ended up getting sober in his late sixties. He wrote a really cool book called Son of a Midnight Land. You don't hear many men his age talk about that kind of experience and how to overcome that much shame, especially when you're like, you become then the abuser. Mm -hmm. It's awful. Yeah. And especially from that generation, it's you sweep a lot of stuff under the rug. They just don't face it. It's gone too long for them. So my dad, I think, is very heroic. We have a really great relationship now. But holidays, like Mm -hmm. for me, I spent them alone. Like you weren't allowed to be on campus at that boarding school. And so teachers would be like, you can stay in my house. Mm -hmm. Oh, be gone. Don't tell anyone. So they'd like sneak me into their home and I kind of house sit for them and I'd go steal a present for myself. I remember like the first Christmas present I stole for myself was like this beautiful cranberry colored dress. Amazing. I Impressive it. that you could. I put it under the tree. <laughs> you, did you wrap it up? I did. Amazing. I fully wrapped it. Amazing. Well, this is so why funny. I think it's it's such a prevalent issue, just loneliness during the holidays, because it's such a family focused time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of us forget that some people don't either they don't have family or they just don't have close relationships with them. So it can really highlight that feeling of loneliness. Yeah. And this is what the Not Alone Challenge is all about. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, Newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Do you mind um, telling us about the Not Alone Challenge and how people can take part in it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a youth foundation. We started 22 years ago. The kids run the foundation, so they really learn by doing. They do all the marketing and photo editing and photography, and they really learn what they love, you know, in life by doing that. And so they all come up with fundraising ideas. And so one of the kids wanted to do a social media challenge. And we were like, right on, that sounds great. Let's try it. Last year was our first year. They got 1.6 billion eyeballs on that. Wow. And it was just by like getting like a social media channel at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically we did it during the holidays because of loneliness. Even when you're with your family, a lot of people feel alone. I was going to say, you feel alone in an entire group of people. That's a good point. A lot of times we just don't feel like we fit in or you step back into all the family isms that you thought you Mm -hmm. outgrew and got enough therapy for. And there you are back in it. Yeah. Regressing. (laughs) It's hard. So it's a social media challenge. People make videos where they say, Hey, I'm so-and-so. It's a tiny little script. 
And then people give auction items. So there's like crazy auction items from different celebrities and athletes and CEOs. You can go to the notalonechallenge.org and you can kind of see what's available. The other thing was like tools. I think it's really mm-hmm. mean to raise awareness about mental health without enough resources. And then give nothing. Isn't yeah. that awful? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, but wait, psych, there's not enough therapists. Good luck. Yeah. It's $400 a session. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the notalonechallenge.org, you can go find free resources. There's behavioral tools, like the mm-hmm. ones I used, where I was just, I'm going to practice one thing. I'm going to work on my panic attacks. I'm going to work on that one thing. Um, there's free access to inner world, which is a virtual mental health community, which is really powerful and lots of other resources. Yeah. And inner world is something that I find really interesting. I'm not really, um, I'm not privy to the virtual reality thing, but how exactly does it work? Yeah. So you can, this is a mental health community Mm -hmm. that has two aspects. One is a social community where you can visit with other people. There's a, one of our trained guides, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What we, we really found on our foundation is that, well, as we all know, just real life triggers us. It doesn't happen at your therapist's office at two on Tuesday. <laughs> and when we need help, it's often like in, you know, whatever, my cat just died and I'm bereft or it's two in the morning and I'm freaking out. So it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trained guide with a community all the time. And so let's pretend it's 2 a.m. and your pet dies and you're bereft. You can come into inner world and you can say, my cat just died. I'm freaking out. Mm -hmm. And the guide might say, have you ever seen the grief cycle? And you might say, I haven't. What is it? And then you can just spawn a visual tool of this little wave. And it talks about the stages of grief. And you're like, okay, I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And then the guide might say, there's a class tomorrow at three o'clock where the whole topic is just about grief. And then you can go. And that's the second half of inner world is there's these group classes. Um, It's all anonymous. It's really easy. Like you don't have to have virtual goggles. So if you just go to inner dot world, it'll work just on your iPad or on your phone and you move around kind of like on a video game. Can you make like an avatar? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. You make an avatar, you choose your name. And what we're really seeing is that anonymity and just the access, you know, like we have a mom, she touched my heart the other day. She has five kids under seven years old. Jeez. Yeah. It sounds brutal. Yeah. And she's she was struggling. You know, she was isolated. She really never leaves the home. All of her kids were like, it was really rough on her. And so yeah. this is a tool she can use anytime. A lot of veterans use our platform. Uh, more men than we, men are very hard to get into therapy. A lot of men, because it's virtual mm-hmm. and it's um, anonymous. And they're already anonymous on the it's internet. It's really easy in so many to kind of cry, you know, in a... As an avatar, like you yeah. have real feelings with real comfort and real connection and nobody sees your ugly cry face. It's really nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can talk to other users and kind of like, like it's live. It sounds just like this. That's the so audio cool. is so good. And it's just like sitting in this room. There's spatial awareness. Even if it's on a flat screen and you're just on your iPad, it's very present and very connected. It's really an incredible tool. That's and so it's cool. like, has it's it freemium. Um, Let's see, we launched last November. Cool. Um, the most it ever is is $8 a month. I think I was offering like a free year subscription to people. I'll figure out how to, whatever the code is, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but it's a really good tool. A lot of people wanted us to like make this really expensive, make it where you had to have a prescription coming in. I was like, nope, this is going to be very affordable. Yeah. I really need people to have access to this. Yeah, and that, I mean, anybody feeling lonely too in the holidays can just yeah. jump in there and have like a little sense of community. Yeah. We have like, 
So we did everything based on scientifically proven tools like DBT and CBT skills. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yeah. yeah. Like a dialectical behavioral tool. That's basically all the stuff that helped me was like, what do I practice? Yeah. You know, if I have anxiety or agoraphobia, how do I, what do I do differently every day? Like one of the tools is for social anxiety. A lot of people have social anxiety or agoraphobia, like where they shut in. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one woman on our platform. She hadn't left her home in four years. Wouldn't even check her mailbox. And she'd been in therapy twice a week and just was really struggling. And so in Inner World, one of the things we teach is this tool called Solve Ahead. And it's where you say, what's your goal? I want to go grocery shopping. What's your worst fear if you went grocery shopping? What's your worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. And she says that I'll have a panic attack on aisle two and I won't know what to do. We say, okay, let's just say this bad scenario happens. What plan can you make? And so you write a plan. I'm calling so-and-so. It's this little plan, an emergency plan. So you know. Now, in the worst case scenario, I know what to do. It's covered. I'm going to have it written on a note card. I'll have it around my neck, whatever. And then you say, all right, what's the best case scenario? Uh, That I go, nothing happens. All right, you don't get to control the outcome, but we do get to influence how things go. What would make this go well? How could you set this up where you could do well? Uh, So what she did is she took Inner World on her phone, and it was live. And she told her friends at 2 o'clock today, I'm going to go grocery shopping. And so they were all there for her and she had her earbuds in. And so her friends were talking to her live on the, in the app Mm -hmm. and she had this whole little plan and she went grocery shopping. And after four months of being in the platform, her therapist started coming into her platform because she was like, how the heck did this work? (sighs) Yeah. But those are scientifically proven tools. um, And that's an example of a behavioral tool. No, that's amazing that she can have company. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sweet. That is so sweet. And, um, because that's what I was wondering is how these tools would actually translate out in the real world. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it sounds like it'd be so easy to just be sucked in. Like if you've ever been um, really depressed, like playing video games, you can just get sucked in for say, hours and on hours. World of Warcraft for three days and yeah. you forget to eat. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds like this can really take you out into the real world with the coping strategies that you learn. Yeah. My co-founder, Noah Robinson, he uh, he was a child that was stuck in a video game. I forget which one, but he spent like over 10,000 hours or something. Mm-hmm. I forget what. It was a lot of hours. And in one way, it saved his life because he realized he was gay and it was making he was really depressed because he didn't know how to come out. Mm -hmm. But he came out virtually to his gaming clan. Yeah. And that's when he had this aha moment of like, I want to go to therapy school. I want to become a Ph.D. And what if because they have psychologists working on video games to make them addictive. Oh, yeah, for sure. What if we can do of using technology to make it less addictive? Mm -hmm. So actually, if you're in our platform too much. There's an intervention. We come in and we just talk to you and say, how are you doing? You're here a lot. Oh, like, are really? You that's really nice. That's the one yeah. thing. I, I mean, I love many things about TikTok, but it's the only app that says, hey, you've been scrolling too long oh, that wow. I've experienced. And I'm oh, like, do they that's amazing. Do that? Yeah. I've never gotten to that point. Me too. <laughs> I haven't hit the, the threshold. I have. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's really important. Like our goal is to make your outer world better. You know, so like yeah. we're equipping people with the tools where they know how to go, like be prepared for the holidays. You know what I mean? So we actually do classes around it. Like you're headed home. Let's talk about it. And we do it in this group setting. So it's like 30 people at a time. And it, you really learn so much hearing other people. And you're like, oh, my God, that's true. That happens to me, too. How do you and it? It just really helps. And it's all trained you know, by a trained yeah. guide, but not by a therapist. Like right now, we don't have therapists on our platform. We're training lay people 
in these tools. So you guys could train, you could learn to be a coach, you could learn to be a guide, mm. you could be trained in these skills to lead and moderate classes. Mm -hmm. And then everything has a ton of oversight. Like the amount of oversight that we're able to do is, yeah, really safe and really impressive. Groups are very effective, I think, because mm -hmm. I think so much of loneliness is just thinking that you're the only person going through a yeah. certain thing at a current moment. And so to hear a bunch of other people going, well, I'm also feeling this way. And then you're like, oh, like I'm not alone in the emotion. Yeah. Which makes you feel more normal, which gets you to have more conversations with other people and like yeah. just gets you out of your head. Yeah. Nothing's worse than thinking like you're broken. Mm -hmm. That's a terrible feeling. And different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah I wish I thought yeah. I had something like this when I was a teenager. Do you think you could have benefited from having a community like that when you were younger? For sure. Yeah. I think especially because I was so scared. It was like very stranger danger. Mm. Having it be virtually where I'm alone by myself would have made me feel really safe, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And agoraphobia, like that that's such a specific thing. Um, how were you able to be a famous pop star and be agoraphobic at the same time? Yeah. I got a lot better at my agoraphobia before I got discovered. Okay. Like during that year of homelessness, I kind of I learned I got a grip on it. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was also really tied to illness because I, I was getting so many kidney infections and I didn't have doctors. I was oh, sick a lot. Awful. And that's a really painful sickness. And so I just developed this thing where if I left my home base or if that was my street corner or my car, I my anxiety would go so much mm -hmm. that I was just worried I'd get sick. I wouldn't have help. And something about being under my little tree that I loved made me feel safe. So I, I really did make a lot of inroads on that. Um, but you know, I didn't know the word trauma. I didn't know the word trauma trigger. I didn't know the yeah. word social anxiety. I don't, I didn't know the word agoraphobia. I just know I couldn't leave my little street corner and this was a problem. It was God's joke to make me famous. It was like, <laughs> you have issues, honey. You're going to get to practice. Go do it in public. Over and over, over and, and over. <laughs> and so again, practice. I was like, yeah, I had to figure out how to deal with it. And it was the dawn of the internet. And for me, it was like just learning to lead with the truth always took so much pressure off of me. And because of the internet, I could tell fans like, you, I can't let, you guys can't touch me. Mm. I didn't say panic attacks. I didn't know the word, but I was like, it's funny, I get emotional talking about it. I was able to go on those like list serves and these fan groups and be like, you guys can't touch me. You can't rush me. You can't like run up to me. Oh, you would say it as yourself. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. And I was mm -hmm. able to just like, as I was getting famous, I was able to kind of like, there was this online community that we mm -hmm. started finding each other. That you were and like, so I'm not going to perform like, if you guys treat me this way. Not even just that I'm not going to perform. I just, I couldn't like, you know, after the show, they'd want to come up to you and, yeah. and like people mm -hmm. grab you. Mm -hmm. They want to hug you. I'll I mean, they also, you. they feel so yeah. uh, close to you also from they do. listening to your music. Yeah. And people don't have like any like body awareness. They grab you and they touch you. And they yeah. was like, that needed to stop for me. Like it just, that will really trigger me. Um, I triggered all the time. My career was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. But again, because my number one job was to learn how to be happy. I just made it my priority. Like after my second album luckily did really well, I quit. I was mm -hmm. like, you know what? This isn't for me. Mm -hmm. So lucky, so thankful to be here. And no thank you. Like this just doesn't work. Would I like to be a chef? Would I like to be a photographer? I just quit. Yeah. And I gave myself time to be like, all right, I had a dream. Holy smokes, it worked. This part of it doesn't make me happy. And then I was like, wait a minute. In two years, I got so much less famous. 
I suddenly, I got so famous, you guys. Like I was on the cover of yeah. Time Magazine. Like yeah. I couldn't walk across the street without bodyguards. I couldn't go to the bathroom without people following me and going, oh my God, I'm hearing Jewel P. And I'd be like, wow, <laughs> oh my I'm gosh. so rotten. I was like, I'm aborting. Yeah, that's what kind of person I am. I'm just in there just being horrible to people because I'm oh like, gosh, you're going to embarrass me. I'm going to embarrass you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm ornery. Um, so, yeah, it was giving myself permission, realizing that in two years I got less famous to where I could go grocery shopping. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. I love being a musician. I don't like being that famous. So I'll just be less famous. Like, that's okay, too. Totally. And I feel like the media never discusses that aspect of it when people on their own accord are like, I'm going to pull back because I don't want this right now. Everyone yeah. like says, oh, you know, you assume that person fell off. And we've talked about this a bunch yeah. of times where I'm like, sometimes artists who are super famous will take themselves away because they're like, this doesn't serve me anymore. Yeah. Or I just need this space to take care of my brain. Yeah. And then they either come back and do something great or they just live a great life. Yeah. And you see that now. It, back then, yeah. it was shameful. Right. I was ridiculed by the media, mm -hmm. like as if I did something shameful. It was really weird. Yeah. When I knew it was an act of power, like I did something powerful for myself. But it was like, how interesting to be publicly shamed for it. Mm -hmm. Really wild. But then for me, it was just like, all right, I need to be less famous. I'll always take breaks between records. I'm going to switch genres every record because that's what I like doing. Everybody that doesn't like it can suck it. Still waiting on a and dual grunge album. <laughs> yeah, that would be sick. <laughs> Did you have a fear at all of not being relevant anymore by pulling back? I never did. I'm competitive. I do like winning. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I do something, I do like trying to be like, and switching genres was really hard because I had to start over every time. Taking mm -hmm. this huge break was like, I had another mountain to climb. So I, I kind of liked that aspect of it. But I never really cared. Like nobody got O three O four. A lot, a lot of people did, but a lot, the press was like, "Huh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me feel." Well, bad. one of your later albums that I loved, uh, um, I think it was called "Standing Still," or oh, was yeah. that the single? Mm -hmm. That was a single, I but yeah, "Standing Still." I, that album was so good. But I remember when that came out, being like, "Jewel is back, Aww. baby." <laughs> um, and I mean, I don't know anything about record sales at all, but yeah. uh, but that one was was fairly popular, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and that was after my first like two year break. So yeah, I was really really lucky. Like you don't get to usually take off that much time and then kind of switch sounds and then yeah. It's kind of fun it. if you're a competitive person, too, to be like, I take it back. And then you're like, I'm going to start from scratch yeah. again and see how well I can do. Yeah. It was like handicapping myself in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> and there's times where I didn't even promote records. I have an album called Picking Up the Pieces. I produced it myself. I love that album. Mm -hmm. But my boy was little and I was going through a really like awful, heartbreaking divorce. And I was like, I don't got it in me to promote it. Yeah. This one won't be known. Yeah. What are you going to do? You know, it can always resurge. Though. Yeah. Um. Did you find touring very lonely? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I found touring to be, it's very physically grueling. Yeah. Thank God I never drank. I never did drugs. Um, I had to be like an athlete out there. Like it was like, you get your sleep, you eat well. And you know, for me, like, and it probably wasn't great, but like the thing I had on everybody else was my work ethic. You know, I was a folk singer trying to break at the height of male dominated grunge mm -hmm. and all the radio stations were horrible. I mean, what these DJs would say, it was like, They'd be like, hi, welcome back to KYZY. You might have heard me describe my next guest as a large-breasted woman, Jewel. Oi, how are you? <laughs> I was like, hey, you must be that small penis man I've heard so much about from South Carolina. <laughs> he looked at me. He 
pushed a button. We went off air and I was escorted out of the building. No. Oh I was kicked out more than any punk rock band. I was kicked out of so many stations in the 90s because I just wouldn't take it. Because yeah. in my training as a kid in these bars... I'd be like, all right, let's play. Yeah, you're going to give yeah. me shit. I'll give you shit back. Exactly. This one guy I remember, I think it was here in New York. He was like, Jewel, we're all wondering, how do you give a blowjob with those messed <gasps> up teeth? No. What? Yes. Live on air. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I can fix my teeth if I wanted. You're never going to fix being stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Off air. I think that's a famous Winston Churchill <laughs> quote as well. <laughs> In the morning, you'll still be stupid. <laughs> really? No, it's yeah. It's like, madam, I may be heart. drunk, but in the morning, you'll still be ugly. But I don't. Amazing. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, touring, I think, for any type of artist can be super lonely. And you've mentioned that you have someone called a spiral buddy. Yeah. Can you explain a spiral buddy? For me, I learned that my panic attacks come on when I have more than one pillar in my life shifting. Mm. So for me, moving to school and moving out, that was a lot psychologically. You know, and you're just so busy dealing with it, you don't really think about it. So I think of those things as pillars. You know, if I'm you're going through a breakup or you're moving homes or you're changing jobs, I look at those as like pillars psychologically. And so I have to have like a real plan for myself if I know more than one pillar is shifting in my life. And so, yeah, I would have like a little self-care plan of like, hey, I'm I know I'm vulnerable right now because I'm going through this transition. If I call you, will you pick up? Like, mm-hmm. will you put me on your little phone list where, like, my phone, my call rings through? Because I probably need to talk to Dan. I'm probably starting to amp up. I need to be told everything's good, that I'm safe, that I'm not X, X, Y, Z, whatever my thoughts are attacking me. Um, and that really helps. And yeah. how do you pick a spiral buddy? Is it just a close friend? Yeah, I like people that have, like, done therapy or they kind of understand shame or shame spiraling. Um, they kind of just know that, yeah, they just are there for you with love and empathy. I have one. I just no. didn't realize that's what she was called. Yeah. Shout it's a great name. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> and we've mentioned the Inspiring Children Foundation. So it's a 10-step program for kids dealing with anxiety and depression. What are those 10 steps? Can we go through them or should everyone just go to the website? Yeah. There's kind of, we call them pillars. There's 10 pillars okay. where we really focus. Some of them are really like the low-hanging fruit that we always overlook that always improve our mental health. Mm-hmm. Like improving our sleep game. Yeah. 
you know, why am I staying up till 3 a.m. with Netflix every night? Why am I gaming every night? And that takes work. You don't just change those habits overnight. Like it really takes work to train yourself to be able to go to bed, to get rest. Mm -hmm. It's like sleep hygiene. Um, am I eating well? Like really starting like with some of the basics you know, meditation is like a doorway. We hear the word mindfulness a lot. So I might as well just like, for me, like I define the word mindfulness as being consciously present. That's it. So meditation helps you learn how to be consciously present. It doesn't mean you like what you're being consciously present with. Mm. And I think that's something we don't talk about in like the meditation apps enough is like, this is going to make you present. And sometimes it really relaxes you and helps you feel better. But sometimes if you're acutely anxious and you try to meditate, you'll just be hyper aware that you're anxious. But being present is the first step to being able to change. And I'm interested in changing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to just feel better because I took, you know, 15 minutes to breathe deeply. I want my life to go better. I want to change my habits. So you need mindfulness to kind of build the muscle of being consciously present. Now that you're present, what do you want to do? It's like getting your car off of autopilot neurologically and just mm -hmm. having knee-jerk reactions to everything. Stopping saying, okay, I'm noticing I'm really angry. I'm noticing I'd like to rip your head off. I notice. <laughs> I'm going to take a break. Yeah. And then if you can take that break, you can say, all right, I'm going to form a thoughtful response, not a knee-jerk reaction. That's going to change your life. If you can not rip somebody's head off, instead you can go, you know what? I'm having some feelings right now. Let's mm -hmm. resume later. That's going to help you make better decisions. Um, and I actually literally do that. And I make a joke of it. And I'm like, you know what? Not feeling so great right now. Super triggered. I'll be back. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow I'll call you. <laughs> you know what? That's such a good tip. Like that's something that um, I, I learned in the past couple of years. It's like you don't always need to respond in real time. Yeah. You can yeah. say you know what, I'm, I'm feeling really heated by this conversation or I need to form my thoughts. Let's pull away and then reconvene yes. later. But that seems like, I don't know why that's not an innate thing, but it's yeah. just not, we feel like we need to respond in the moment and then often it get, just gets worse. Yeah, and it's kind of such a relief to call yourself out. It's such a nice thing as a parent. Like with my son, I'll be like, you know what? Super grumpy. Yeah. Super grumpy right now. Nothing to do with you. I'm gonna just go give myself a little time out Mm -hmm. hang out let me know if you need anything I'll be in my room having a talk with myself he's like yeah. all right it's like no but to nice. your point of what like you don't have to necessarily share it in the moment sometimes you don't even have to share it at all there totally. are so yeah. many times where I'll go to my notes app and I will write down a thing that I want to say to a person or I even started doing it where I'll do voice notes where I start screaming at the person and then I just take a beat and I'll either read it back or listen to it back and then delete it. Yeah. You know, because all you really needed was the release. Yes. And it wouldn't serve to even say those things. Yes. It's just acknowledging, okay, this is how I'm feeling. And then kind of doing what you do. Why was I feeling that way? And how can I work to not feel that way anymore? And what you're saying is so like scientifically true, like emotions send massive chemical reactions through our body. Mm -hmm. And we're getting a huge dose of sometimes adrenaline, these excitatory neurochemicals, biochemicals, and it's in our body. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to like discharge in a safe way, you know, like with a loaded gun, you do it safe in a little container so you don't harm anyone, mm -hmm. but you do have to like get that energy out of your body. I love that you do the voice note. That's really cool. Sometimes oh, yeah. I call a friend and be like, I want to send this so bad. Mm -hmm. I know I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to send it to you first. Tell me what you think. 
And that just is like enough where they'll get involved and they'll be like, no, it's really They're crappy. Like, absolutely really don't crappy. Send that. Yeah, absolutely yeah, don't do that. that. Yeah. You sound but, but angry. <laughs> I'm like, but I, worked, I rewrote it 12 times. It's like, go again. Like, you know? <laughs> I once signed up for an open mic to talk shit. Amazing. Like in the height of the pandemic. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not kidding. Because it was like, I like just needed to talk about this one thing. And one of my friends was running Zoom open mics. And I was like, I'm just going to unload. I didn't have any funny content at all. Amazing. And it was, it was better than therapy. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's more common than you think. People use open mics for therapy. Really? Quite often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, I'm going to really incorporate that. Yeah, you but. really shouldn't. It, you're not picking up the, the tools that you need yeah. that way, but it is a good place to And vent. it ended up being funny. I will say. Oh, I'm sure. I don't yeah. doubt it. I don't <laughs> doubt it. That's amazing. I really love that. Um, but you focus on tools a lot, which I really like, because there are some therapists I've even been to where you just talk and talk and talk. And at the end of the therapy session, they're like, OK, cool. See you next week. And you're like, but what do I do with it? This was just a gossip session with an unbiased person who doesn't who's not going to tell anybody. But what do I do from there? Yeah. So I love that there there's steps. There's 10 steps for these kids. Yeah. It's these 10 pillars. And then I think over 400 tools kind of Sorry, pillars. on what. Yeah, it's OK. <laughs> but I just mean in each one of those things, it's like a bucket of tools, mm-hmm. um, but kind of 10 areas to start focusing on. And then like resilience is another word we hear all the time. Resilience yeah. just means having many skill sets for any given problem. Yeah. Like the reason a rainforest is resilient is because some plants do good in a drought and some plants do good in a flood. So net net, no matter what nature throws at a forest, it has these adaptable qualities. Emotionally, we're just not usually given a really big tool set. You know, like when my son was five and anger really comes up for toddlers, I was like, that's called anger. Mm -hmm. You don't get to hit people. But here's five other things you do get to do. And he had a spinny wheel where we'd spin it. I drew it. A fidget spinner thing? No, it was like a little diagram I drew with like one of those like little arrows. Like you can a chore spin. wheel. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah like, like, a, that. like a twister spinner. Yeah. Yes. And I wrote like five little things you could do of like stomp like a dinosaur, scream like a pterodactyl of like just to get that charge that. out of your body. Hit yeah. a pillow. Hit a pillow. Yeah. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. Get that out of your body. Or screaming into a pillow. That's yeah. That feels good. So something you talked about earlier was like you feel better just connecting. Mm-hmm. That's called nonspecific network effects. Like it's been studied. You feel better just because you did talk to somebody. Yeah. That's a real thing. Even if it's in this virtual community, you're going to feel better because there's a community around you. But that isn't enough to change. So if people are listening and they're in therapy and they don't feel like they're getting the change they want, they really should tell their therapist, hey, I'd love some practices. My biggest pain point is my whatever, panic attacks. What can I do around that? Like guide your therapist mm-hmm. to say these, these are the changes I need if they're not guiding you. And if they're resistant to it, like they should also know there's something called DBT. It's like behavioral based yeah. therapy. So that exists in the world. If anybody's listening and doesn't know about it, yeah, DBT that or exists. CBT. And there's therapists who specialize in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great book called DBT for Dummies. And it just teaches <laughs> you the skills, which I'm a huge fan of that I'm type of thing. I'm a fan of, of the yeah. For Dummies series, yes, actually. It's great. Because I am a dummy. Yeah, <laughs> me too. That's how I learned everything was from these books. <laughs> yeah. But that no, that's so helpful. A lot of people don't know about it. And I think some people have the experience of they go to talk therapy and exactly what you said, Remy, like mm-hmm. they're all talked out yeah. and they're like, but, but where do I go from here? And then some people respond really well to talk therapy yeah. because they just have a hard time saying what they're feeling in general. But 
I didn't even know what DBT or CBT was until like five years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so helpful for providing those tools that talk therapy just can't. Yeah. Or they can't. Like I have asked therapists at the end of it being like, okay, so I need tools. Wow. You know, and some of them will go, okay, great. Like, let's start you with journaling. Amazing. You know, and mm-hmm. some people, if they don't offer the tools, then maybe time for a new therapist. Yeah. And I really want to reiterate that for people. We have kids that come into our foundation. They have failed out of like psychiatric institutes where they just didn't get, it didn't help. Mm-hmm. And so you just, nothing's worse than like going to the expert and the expert can't fix you. Yeah. That's a really hopeless feeling. Like you just feel trash after that. Yeah. And so just don't be afraid to fire the expert. It's like pretend it's a car. Mm-hmm. And that mechanic just didn't know how to fix that car. That's okay. Nothing's wrong with the car. Right. It just wasn't the right mechanic. Yeah. Or they so didn't have the parts someone and else. they weren't willing exactly. to outsource them and order them. Yeah. That's a great way to think of it. Yeah. It really helps me when I just de-emotionalize and just be like, wait a minute. What if a I lot just, of car imagery, I'm noticing. I do use car imagery <laughs> yeah. a lot. Because I guess my body's a vehicle. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm driving around in here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For me, like a huge epiphany when I was homeless was like, I was, I love philosophy and Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, wait a minute. It's I perceive what I think, therefore I am. I can perceive my thoughts. That's weird. Yeah. And I can perceive my feelings. And then I was like, so if I'm sad, I'm something other than sad. I'm the observer of it. I'm not actually my sadness. Mm-hmm. That's a trip. Whoa. And suddenly yeah. I was like, wait a minute. My brain, my thoughts, and my feelings are not the driver. The observer is the driver. Yeah. And I went back to this car analogy, this car metaphor of like, all right, my brain isn't the, the driver. It's the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. The observer, I'm driving this. I have consciousness inside my body. And again, the reason meditation or building conscious presence is good is because it builds this relationship with the observer. Because when you meditate, you're like, I observe that it's cool in this room. I observe Mm -hmm. the temperature. I observe that I'm physically uncomfortable. I observe that I'm anxious. That's building a relationship with this part of you that can now direct you. That's the part of you that says, I'm really pissed off right now. I Mm -hmm. notice I'm pissed off in real time. And in real time, I'm going to say, I'm going to take myself out of the situation. I'm going to go cool down. Mm -hmm. And also, what's the worst thing that could happen if if I... I'm correct about this thing that's pissing me off and then breaking that down. And usually like, it's not that bad. Yeah. And it's fixable. And it's fixable. But if you burn the bridge and you just rip the person's head off, then you have to go apologize. Oh yeah. It's a whole thing. And you have to fix it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I got so tired of cleaning up my messes. I'm like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. (laughs) Yeah. Too many bridges have been on fire. I love that. Um, I mean, I've loved this conversation. Is there anything else that you want people to know about the challenge, about your foundation or inner worlds that we didn't cover? Uh, No, just yet. Notalonechallenge.org. You can see what items are for auction. 
Uh, we found a guy that's actually going to match donations up to a million dollars. Oh, my yeah, God. Incredible. It's called the Foundation Reserve Social Club. So really every dollar counts. So even if it's like $5 or whatever, that really helps. Or just go in there for free tools. We have tons of free resources. We also really made sure we had lists of resources for different communities. People of color deal with really different, mm -hmm. you know, pressures. Um, we really want to make sure we had resources for every group that really felt like, yeah, they were being seen and helped. Yeah. And we've, we've been talking about mind body connection, but we do talk about body image a lot on this podcast. Did you ever suffer with body image issues or like after people saying stuff to you, like the teeth man, like, was there anything that you ever struggled with in that regard? Yeah. Had an eating disorder. Okay. I have all the orders. I have all the isms. <laughs> I have all the things. I just thank God never did drugs because mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever would have come back from that one. Um, yeah, I had an eating disorder. It started when I went away to school. I just knew I was compulsively eating and I knew I was eating when I wasn't hungry. Mm -hmm. I grew up eating like on a homestead. I never even thought about food. So that was a really huge noticeable thing. And I don't know why. Again, I'm like this weird proactive person where I'm like, I don't want this to get out of control. Something's wrong. Something's out of control in me. And so I went to the library and I looked in the addictions category and I found AA, mm -hmm. books on AA, and then I found books on OA, Overeaters Anonymous, mm. and it dealt with all eating disorders. So I went to my school counselor. I'm like, I think I have an eating disorder and I want to start a group. And so I started a little like an Overeaters Anonymous group at oh, my high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've been, you've <laughs> been, been doing starting this groups. since Jump yeah. Street. You've been I starting groups. Yeah, I have been. And that format's really nice. It's part of what we model the inner world after. It's not the 12 steps, but it's groups where you're anonymous, where you're safe, mm -hmm. and where you start learning skills. So people could go there if yeah. they're having eating problems as well, body image yeah. issues. Body image issues, addiction, mm -hmm. anxiety, general anxiety, loneliness, depression. We deal with, we have hundreds of classes a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll give you guys all a free subscription for a year. Oh, we'd love that. I'm excited about yeah. that. Hey, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I would love it. Um, and then final question, do you practice any mantras or meditation? Well, we said meditation, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, my life really changed when I started like really committing daily to like a specific meditation practice with our kids. We teach them breathing meditation. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys want to do it really quick? Sure. sure. Let's do it. We'll just do like the way I teach it is breathing in is one, breathing out is two, breathing in is three and you count. And that's your mantra. Like a mantra just for anybody that this is new, like your brain kind of likes a little bone to chew on. It's busy. Mm-hmm. And so counting becomes a mantra. It's just a way of focusing yourself so that you can be present. I you count tell while you, you breathe? I do. So breathing in, I'm counting one. Breathing out, I'm counting two. So it's one second for the inhale and then one second for the exhale? It's not really around seconds. I take long, slow breaths. Okay. My friend does just normal, shallow breathing. Um, the other thing I want to do before we do this little, we'll just do like six breaths. Mm -hmm. Winning, I like to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I want to win at meditation mm -hmm. and it's just what I'm like. And when I started to meditate, I'm like, I am losing because I have so many thoughts and the whole point of meditation totally. is to not have thoughts. Yeah. So I was like, this sucks. Yeah. I hate meditation because I suck at it. When I did the science and I really researched why does meditation work? What we learned is again, we're trying to build the muscle of being consciously present. So every time you have a thought, you're going to have thoughts, you have a brain and your brain is busy and our brains are trained. We have habits to be distracted. Our whole life is getting us to be distracted. There's people vying for our attention. 
So while you're meditating, you're going to think of things. You're going to think of checking your email, whatever it is. When you realize you're doing it, that is a bicep curl. Neurologically, mm. that realizing, wait, I just had a, th I just had a thought and I noticed it. That's winning. Mm -hmm. That is not losing. You just <sighs> won. And you come back to be like, and then let's say you're trying to do 30 breaths and you lost track of what number you're on because you got so distracted. It happens to me every day when I meditate. You just guess. You're like, I think I'm in the 15s. Mm -hmm. Just guess. Come back to any number in the ballpark and keep going. And if you get distracted 100 times during 100 breaths, that's great. You just did 100 reps. Yeah. So just know, like, every time you realize it, come back. Be like, woohoo, boosted serotonin because I just won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really if you helps lost me. track of your crunches, it wouldn't negate all of the crunches you'd already done. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. a great way of saying it. So let's just do six breaths. We'll close your eyes. Get comfortable. I'm going to breathe kind of loud. I hope it's not obnoxious, but that way people listening can follow us. Here we go. final exhale and I already feel different same my voice sounds different oh I'm still doing it I got like caught up in it a little bit <laughs> that's good <laughs> that is good I even got like a little like tingly feeling it's funny a little yeah. high yeah so what happens neurologically is like and physiologically is your vascular system did just dilate your blood pressure did just go down different neurochemicals just got released into your blood system it's pretty cool. And that's something you can do anywhere. So when we teach people to meditate, like I meditate for 40 minutes a day. It's like my practice. I'm 50. Mm -hmm. I got the time. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, I have the, the luxury of doing it. But if I have a busy day, like I literally do 10 breaths. When I wake up in the morning, 10 breaths, whether it feels good or not, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And then during the day, in the middle of the day, 10 breaths. You can always do 10 breaths. So it's yeah. a really good way to start. I accidentally meditated for 45 minutes once wow. because I was doing this app called 10% Happier. Yeah. And I was only on like 10 minute meditations and I'm doing this one and I'm sitting there for such a long time. My thoughts come back to me that I'm kind of like doing this for a while. Like the guy hasn't spoken in a long time. My phone died. <laughs> So I just accidentally oh did a 45 no minute meditation. Way. It wasn't amazing. guided anymore. It was just off. <laughs> no, but that's like because your phone died and you couldn't check the time. You weren't aware of the time. You just kind of got swept away. Just like you just now. Yes. Yeah. Aww. It's like our knowledge of the passing time makes it harder to yeah. stay doing it. I think. Yeah. True. Plus, I think we just had goals too big. It's like just do a doable goal. Ten breaths once mm -hmm. a day. Start there. Baby it's really steps. helpful. Well, I hope that this has been a meditative experience for everybody listening. Uh, Jewel, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank this was you. wonderful. Oh, wait, I have a re-release of Spirit. Oh, yeah. It's oh, 25 yeah. years old. Congrats. I have this friend named Alice. So I lost all my songs. Mm -hmm. I don't ever write things down. And I would go on the interweb and I would be like, hey, I sang this one song in like a cafe in Toronto. Does anybody have a bootleg? The same guy was always coming back to me. <laughs> and it, I finally was like, who are you? He's like, my name's Alan. I'm like, do you want a job? Yeah. <laughs> He's worked for me since 1994. No way. So with this album, I was like, I don't know what rare material I have or unreleased bootlegs. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I was like, I just want you to make the album you want. And so he Alan. made this album. It has really like, apparently when I was making the second album, a lot of like engineers leave the tape running between takes just in case you get an idea. Yeah. 
Apparently my piano player was doing some doodle and I started improvising an opera about a bumblebee, like completely made up in real time. It's stupid. Yeah. I can't remember. Like it's dumb. It's a six minute rant, but he loves this dumb little weird opera I did when I was 21. That's amazing. And so that's on there. He, Wait, like, that's amazing. Random wild kind of outtakes and rare songs and things. It's so. Spirit Allen's version. It's Allen's <laughs> spirit. Yeah. yeah. See, but this is what we need for a re-release. Like if, when um, when somebody does just a regular re-release and maybe they remaster the tracks, that's not enough. We Mm-mm. want it. This sounds like it's for the fans. You're it giving really them something is. extra. It has like, it's very in-depth with 20 or 30 things on it of like wildly yeah rare strange material that alan came up with amazing (laughs) good on you alan i will be listening yeah guys remember three in five americans say their mental health is negatively affected by the holidays and 64 percent of people with mental illness say that the holidays make their conditions worse so if this is you remember you are not alone get involved in the not alone challenge and again thank you thank you guys Appreciate it. It was so fun. So fun. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to send your questions to DST at Betches.com to get them answered and follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram. If you like this episode, please write us a review and don't forget to check out our DST merch on shop.betches.com. Rate, review, subscribe and follow me at Lubination. Follow me at Remy Casimir and follow Jewel. Where can they follow you? At Jewel. Great. Easy peasy. (laughs) You guys remember we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Aliza Zinn. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Aliza Zinn. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com or your voicemails to 212-287-5650. Betches.